Last week I told you we we're going to just take two weeks and look at what, what Jesus says are the two most important things that we can be doing. And I was a bit forceful last week, at least in my mind, and, and with good reason. You need to understand how to love God first. Before anything else can be accomplished, before anything else can be done in His name, you've got to understand how much He loves you and how to love Him in return. It has to be at the core of what we're doing. Because if we do great acts of service and we do all kinds of things all over the world in in love's name, that's great. But if we do them in God's name, they're eternal. And there is a difference. You can love people and not love God. And I've known some people that I believe love God and don't love people. Right? But that's why when Jesus was addressing it, He put the two together. Because God's heart is for His people. Period. And if you love God and if you continue to seek Him with your heart and fall more in love with Him and understand His love for this world, then you're going to have to love people. That's just the way it works. When I was in seminary, there was a phrase that we used, and maybe you heard it growing up, that you can be of such a heavenly mind, you're of no earthly good. You can get so distracted with theology and books and and learning more about God's intricate details of His characteristics and pour yourself into that and yet not tell anybody about how much He loves you. Most of you know, if you've been around long enough, you know that that I'm not usually an either-or kind of guy. I usually don't think there's a lot of situations that say, well, it's either this or it's that. For me, I'm a both-and kind of guy. Usually, I want to do both-and. Usually, when I'm talking to people about problems they even have, it's both-and, right? It's not either-or, it's not one of the people, it's usually both-and. In all of the capacities that we deal with in life, we want to boil it down and we want to be able to blame something or we want to be able to pick one and concentrate on it. And that's just not how God works. And He keeps stretching us and pulling us to know that it's both and, that we both have to love God and spend time with Him and love others. We have to do both and. That's what we're called to do. I went to a a play one time. What's the name of the place out in Lancaster with the sight and sound? Yeah, a big whale. It was Jonah. We're up in the balcony and this giant whale comes out and floats through the auditorium and jumps up in front of us. It's a pretty spectacular thing. It's a great play, but... The thing that stuck in my mind really was one little intricacy of the way that it was written. Something I had never thought about, but Jonah was told by God, okay? So Jonah was a prophet of God. God and Jonah had a relationship. You assume they loved each other, right? 
They talked to each other. God was, was talking to Jonah and saying, you're going to go to Nineveh and talk to people about me. And that's where Jonah says, no, God, I love you, but maybe not that much. Right? And so after he talks with God and falls in love deeper with what God is, he says, no, I'm not going to do what you're asking. And he starts out on this journey Oh, in the opposite direction, right? And the way that they described it was so unique because Jonah is on this road to Tarshish. He's trying to get to Joppa where he's going to catch a boat and he's going to leave and go in the opposite direction. And Jonah encounters these young children in, in the play. And they all surround him and they say, Hey, we need somebody to play hide-and-go-seek with. Will you play with us, mister? And he kind of dances. He's like, No, I don't have time, kids. You know, you, I got this God guy chasing me. Finally, he gives in and he does what every great parent has ever done at one time, right? He says, Okay, you guys go hide and I'll come find you. Right? Yeah. And all of the kids fell for it except one. So all the kids scurry off the stage. They go hide. And one of them starts to, and then he goes, wait a minute. You're not going to come find us. And Jonah says, well, no, that was kind of my plan, yes. And this one little line, this little kid delivers to Jonah, has stuck in my head ever since. If you don't seek, then how can we be found? Had nothing to do, it's not a biblical story, right? Probably didn't happen. But that was really the essence of the story in Jonah, wasn't it? That God was saying, you've got to love people. And I'm sending you to a people that I believe need to hear about who I am. And if you don't go, who's going to find them? How will they be introduced to who I am? And so last week we talked a little bit about Luke 10 chapter 10, verse 2, that the fields are white with harvest, right? And that we are to pray that the Lord of the harvest would release workers into the fields. There's 900 doors or so available to us just in Johnstown through what Kevin does. You heard some of the things that he talked about last week. Some of those folks are, are never going to come to any organized church, and that's okay, but that doesn't mean we don't go to them. That's the point. You see, because we love God, and if we love God, we love people. We love others. That's what you signed up for. That's what Jonah signed up for. It's never changed, folks. <laughs> it's always been that way. To do both and. 
Now, I can be accused of doing it too much sometimes, but it gets me into trouble because I find myself with too many things to do, right? But my heart is that all people truly would come to know what I know. Because I understand and fully believe that this world will end. Each one of us will face an end regardless. That's the way it works. And we have an opportunity to introduce folks to a hope that will help them live in the troubles of today with the promise that tomorrow in eternity, forever, is already taken care of. See, if you believe and love God, that's what He tells you. And if you understand that at your core, then to me, I don't know how you cannot share that with others. I want to look at Philippians chapter 2 today. I want you to look at it with me because it describes Christ and the humility that He had as He came to earth. In my NIV Bible from the 1990s that somebody gave me to go on a a mission trip, it actually has the title, I still remember, it says, Imitating Christ's Humility. That's what this chapter is about. And that's what it takes to love people, right? Humility. To be humble, to approach them with with humility, yes. And to realize that sometimes you're going to feel what? Humiliated. It's a derivative, right? That's just the way it may work, folks. And Jesus knew that. He knew exactly what was going to happen, and yet He did all of the things that it took for you to have that relationship with His Father. So in Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, If any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being united in spirit and of one mind. There's a unity that should possess all of us. There is a commonality among us, and that is that, that we understand the story of our God. If we profess to love God and understand who He is, then we know the story. And we read His Word and we say, yes, all have sinned, right? We have that in common. Right off the bat, everyone in the world, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but we also have, for God so loved the world in common. That by grace through faith, we can enter into a relationship with God. 
And what Paul is asking, that if you love God, he's saying if you have anything in common with one another, any encouragement, any comfort, all of the tenderness and compassion that you have in common from loving God, then show me by being unified. And the church has a hard time with that. It always has historically because it's full of people. It's just the way it is. Personalities and ideas and thoughts. And those things become paramount. And the things you have in common become subsequent. Left behind. I'm going to challenge you that loving God happens first, right? As we fall more in love with Him, then we love others because we understand what we have in common. The people that we don't agree with or struggle with, have trouble seeing eye to eye with, doesn't mean that God doesn't love them too. The idea is that we love people because we know God loved us and God loves people. We understand and we want to say we've changed. Maybe, maybe God's love has, has changed the way in which we behave and the things in which we do and what we're involved with. But that doesn't mean that we're still not sinners, right? We still have our own things that are that we're trying to work out, that we just keep getting hung up on. And, and Paul was very clear about that even in the New Testament. He says, you know, the, the things I want to do, I don't do, and the things I don't want to do, I do, right? He, he wrestled with it all of his life. Didn't mean that he didn't love God and didn't love people, right? There's not a point at which you love God enough that then you're ready to love people. <laughs> that's not how it works. Because the threshold is very low when you look at your own life. God loved you while you were still powerless. He died for the ungodly at just the right time. No matter where you were at, no matter how it happened, at just the right time for you, you understood and became convinced that God loved you. And at that moment, you have no opportunity to escape. <laughs> the other piece of it is that you now must understand how to love people. If you truly understood how much God loves you, if you could quantify that and really apply it to your life and carry it around with you, it may be easier. <laughs> But it's difficult because you can't see it, feel it, taste it, right? It's, it's hard to get your mind around those things. And, and how do I be patient with someone when I'm not always patient with God about what He's doing in my life? It's a work in progress. It's a, it's a one step at a time, one day at a time kind of thing. And that's why the encouragement here 
to continue to focus on what you have in common. That being one in spirit and one in mind is the place to start. That you are not alone. That each one of us, having understood and, and professed to be here this morning, to worship God whom we believe died for us and made a way for us to have eternity. All of those things we have in common. We just need to remember them. Never forget where you came from, right? It's a hard thing to think about. We don't want to believe we're that same person or those same people that we were at one point, but did you really do the work? Or did the love of God change your heart? Think of the people that poured into your life to help you understand the love of God. The people that walked alongside of you in some of those times. So that you would understand how much God loved you and then you could share that love as it overflows out of your life into someone else's life. When I say that's what we get to do, I really mean it, folks. That there is no end to the supply of God's love. <laughs> and as we drink it in and soak it up, soon you can become saturated and be of no good to anybody. You can be so bloated with God's love that it's great, but it's just sitting in your couch. Sometimes you've got to pour it out on others. You can't just hold on to all of that for a rainy day. It's not what it's for. We have all of that in common, and Paul places it right there that he wants us to make his joy complete, being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit, one in mind. That unity of the body doing all this together. And then... He gives us a couple of illustrations here in this next passage. Two things that I want to talk about specifically. Verse 3 through 8. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to His own advantage. Rather, He made Himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. The first piece is something that I've read for years and I've tried to roll it around in my head and do nothing out of selfish ambition. And right away, 
we identify the first word and, and we want to say, well, we're not selfish, right? We, don't, we give away our time. We do what we, we need to do. We give away our money. We, we help the people that we need to help. We, we don't do things selfishly, but that's not the phrase. The phrase is selfish ambition. And to me, they're conjoined for a reason because that phrase means don't just do the things that make you look good. There's a selfish ambition or selfish intention that gets woven into our everyday life at times. We make business decisions about who to help or when to help or what to do based upon whether it advances our standing in the community or our view in our family or there is a, an ambition that can be hidden inside of those things. And it's more dangerous than selfishness because selfishness is usually blatant. We can identify it. But when we really sit down and start making decisions based on what we do or how we do it or how often we do it, based on what it gives to us, then that is selfish ambition. There is a self-interest in it. And that's not what Jesus did, right? He didn't have a self-interest in coming to, to become a, a servant. To wash His disciples' feet. <laughs> to be mocked. To be beaten. There was no self-interest engaged in that process. No selfish ambition. It wasn't about making sure that my family is on the right path. It was about loving God and loving others. It's a much more difficult thing to accomplish than just weeding out selfishness sometimes in our life. To really think about why... Why do I do what I do, or why do I not do some of the things that I do? A lot of times we don't give ourselves enough time to think about those things. Or we behave like Jonah. And when God says nudgingly, hey, go, we start in the other direction because... I have no interest in saving those Ninevites. Do you know what kind of people they are? They hit each other with fish. Veggie Tales reference there, if you didn't know. Jonah had no self interest in going to a people that weren't going to do anything for him. As a matter of fact, they were despicable to His people, the Jews. And when God said go, He said, I'm not interested. doesn't do anything for me, God. 
So he went in the other direction, actually. So did he love God and love others? Well, we know the end of the story, but we also know he wrestled with God about it some more, right? He argued with God as he overlooked the city of Nineveh. As the city of Nineveh began to repent and come to God, Jonah got angry. He was upset. He's like, this is why I didn't want to come. I knew you were going to save him. (laughs) Because he was interested in what he saw as justice. And believe me, you don't want justice. (laughs) Because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the wages of that sin is death eternally. That's justice. When you understand that God saved you from that and He loves you that much, then how could you be so self-interested that you don't tell other people? Because that's their fate. That's the reality of the world that we live in, folks. We can talk about bomb scares. We can talk about guns. All that we want. The reality is, eternity is a much bigger deal. And we don't talk about it at all. Not easy stuff, I know. I'm telling you, the more you read the Word of God, (laughs) you can't escape it. The more you spend time understanding who He is, recognizing what He's actually done for you, you will not be able to run from it. It's what we're called to do. To understand what it meant to be God there in verse 6, the second thing. But did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Because those were the comments, right, as he's on the cross. We saved others, let him save himself. He could call down angels and save him if he's really God. But that wouldn't have done anything for us. That would have been in His interests. That would have been His self-interested mindset and He laid it aside for you. He took the harder road. Took on the nature of a servant in human likeness. Found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself to become obedient to death, even death on a cross. He chose to lay it aside. That's what his love means. That he loved you that much. So that you could help others understand how much he loves them too. The path that he chose in verses 9 to 12 then, God honored the way in which 
He followed the directives. Because after Jesus dies, God is still in control. God is still God. The resurrection happens, and in verse 9, Therefore God takes Jesus and exalts Him to the highest place, gave Him the name above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Continue to work at it. Because you understand that Jesus died, was raised, and placed at the right hand of God the Father for us. And it doesn't say that a percentage of the knees are going to bow. It doesn't say that Whomever God so wills. No, it says every knee is going to bow. And based upon the decision they made with Jesus, that's going to be the answer. That's why I'm so passionate about spending our time outside of these walls. I love you people. I do. But I tell you about Jesus a lot. And there are a lot of people out there that haven't met Him yet. It might shock you to think we live in a, con a country that that could happen. But believe me, it happens a lot. Kevin DeLappy just told me, that in Pittsburgh there are two different housing authorities. One is controlled by the city and one is by the county. One of them has allowed Kevin to come in and do what he wants to do. The other one has said, no, we don't want anything about God in here. Kevin's going to go anyway. Here's why. Because a week or two after he... Listen to this guy tell him this. He's sitting at home and he realizes these kids get up and they spend thousands of hours in school every year. Where what can happen? They're not allowed to talk about God there. And so now the county has made a decision that in their homes they can't talk about God either. That's a little scary, isn't it? That these children, hundreds of apartments, have been told by their school district and by their housing authority that nobody can come in and tell them about God. That that's the policy. Folks, it's happening. Right? This isn't something we're just making up. And, and I don't want you to be afraid. This isn't something where we start gathering cans of soup and bunkering away. Okay? All right? But we need to understand that when we have an opportunity to talk to somebody and God lays it on your heart to share something with that person, they may not hear it anywhere else. That's the reality. 
This is not fabricated. Because the church is option A. There is no option B. God uses His church to fulfill His mission to go make disciples that are reconciled to God by grace and faith and then engage them in a spiritual community. That's what we get to do. Now, I'm not telling you that you have to go buy a bunch of tracts and do it that way and hand it out. If that's your thing, then do it. I will encourage you, one of the simplest things that I have ever encountered is for every one of you, and I've shared this before, to go home this week, take some time and think about your life's journey. How it is that you interacted with others, how you came to know Jesus, what you felt like when that happened. Take a minute and just write it down. Write it down so that it lasts about a minute. And then memorize it. Because the most powerful thing you can do is share what God's done in your life. And just take a minute of somebody's time and possibly change their eternity. It can be done. I'm not saying it's easy. There's a lot of peer pressure out there. I mowed my grass this year this, because somebody beside me mowed it twice already. Right? That's the reality of the world we live in. It, we feel that pressure. I get it. But I'm asking you to remember what it is that God did for you and then just be willing to share it with somebody else. And let God do with it what He wants. <laughs> it's not up to you. You're not responsible for their salvation. You are not their salvation. Jesus is. They might not know it yet though. If I had my way, I'd encourage you to do it by from, through, and to. But, you know, you'll, you'll do it your way. God has done some pretty incredible things in our lives. It's time that we share with the rest of the world what He's doing. That we don't hide it. That we don't pretend it didn't happen. That we don't share it with people that we don't want to see in heaven. That's not good either. It takes a sensitivity to listen to God, understand how much He loves you, and love other people. But that's what we get to do. <laughs> that's what we're called to do. That's what we are about. <laughs> It's the way in which God works in this world today. Through you. So again, this week, 
Remember your story. Write it down. Commit as much of it to memory as you can. Try to make it last about a minute just so you have an easily remembered story to be able to tell. To relate something in your life to their life. And then take the opportunity to share it with somebody. Father, thank You for what You are doing in our hearts and our minds. I know that that You love us deeply. And that yet, sometimes we struggle understanding it. We struggle to identify it, to follow it, to listen to it. Lord, I pray that You would Allow Your voice to be louder than other voices this week. That You would reach into our lives and remind us how much You love us and that we do really love other people. (laughs) That we recognize what You've done on our behalf and we want to be a part of what it is that You're doing in this world. Lord, thank You for the opportunity to be engaged in what You're doing. In Jesus' name. Amen.